I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. So join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and welcome to episode, I don't even know, 214, um, in which I come back, and also in which I decide which fabric brings me joy. I am recording this on Sunday, May 22nd, 2022. It's been a heck of a long time since I was able to record last. That one was recorded on, gosh, was it in March? I'm sorry, April? ended up being super busy, um, mostly because I was trying to get ready to go out of town for three weeks in May. So, you know, as we always say, um, it's more work getting out of town than it is to actually go out of town. Does that make sense? Um, my father-in-law used to say getting out of town is like a space shot. Um, it, you know, just trying to get everything, all your ducks in a row to be gone from work, trying to make sure you've got everything arranged for home and everything. Um, April just, yeah, it was something. Um, and honestly, I spent the entire month, any time I had in my sewing room, I was folding freaking fabric. So I'll talk about that in a bit. Um, just wanted to give you a little bit of a, a fill-in about uh, what, those, what those intervening weeks were like. April? Not much to talk about, so, you know, I won't talk about that. However, those three weeks in May were pretty significant. So the first two weeks, my husband and I went on a vacation, a two-week vacation, to celebrate our 35th anniversary year. Our anniversary isn't actually until October, but it's easier for us to get away in May normally than it is in October for that long a period of time. We almost never go two weeks together. Um, we usually just take a week vacation or long weekends, uh, but, you know, for every five years that we've been doing this, or at least that we've been able to do this, uh, to be able to afford to do this, we've done a two-week anniversary. Um, really, it was started with our 25th. We did it for our 25th, our 30th, and now our 35th year. Um, so it was really nice being away that amount of time with him. Um, that was great. And then followed that up with a, a week work. So the, the two-week uh, trip for anniversary, the first week we did a transatlantic cruise on the Queen Mary 2. We went from New York to Southampton. Um, really glad we did it. Decided it was probably too formal for us to really want to do again. Uh, just the, the dress code <laughs> and... Um, having these sort of gala nights that you have to, I mean, formal evening wear uh, to be in. You know, was it fun? I don't know. Neither of us loves getting dressed up at this point, partly because neither of us is really thrilled <laughs> with how we look in our dress-up clothes right now. Um, the pandemic was not kind to us. So, you know, that took some of the fun away from it. And it's just a pill to have to pack all that stuff. In fact, what we ended up doing was making arrangements with a company called Luggage Forward that works primarily with cruise lines, although I guess you could probably do it from other places. 
where um, you can make arrangements, you can prearrange to ship luggage home. So we went with two large suitcases and two carry-ons and then stuffed one carry-on with all of our formal wear, all the shoes, all the, the stuff we weren't going to have to wear um, ever again, <laughs> at least on that vacation, and then filled it in with as much of our dirty clothes that we couldn't rewear, you know, as possible. Just packed that suitcase full and shipped that home. And I am pleased to say it did actually make it home within a couple of days of us getting home. So that was good. Um, I do recommend them luggage forward. Um, it was well worth not having to haul that stuff around for another week. That being said, <laughs> and during the second week, we did end up buying another uh, carry-on size suitcase, but we both travel enough that it'll get used. Um, in any case, back to the cruise. It was extraordinarily relaxing. Um, we're glad we did it on the way there. We kind of, well, we intentionally did it on the way there rather than the way back with the thought that that would give us time to get accustomed to the time change so that we, when we got to our second week, we'd already be ready to go. And we wouldn't be, you know, as you when you fly into Europe, you have this several hour time change trying to get used to. Um, so our trip was a full seven days on the cruise. We uh, departed New York on Sunday afternoon and we got into Southampton Sunday morning. We both decided we probably would have been okay with about four and a half to five days. The, the last two days, we were starting to twiddle our thumbs a little bit. Part of it was um, they had some lectures, they had some entertainment. It just, we tried a couple of things, wasn't really much to our liking. Um, so we didn't end up doing a lot of that kind of thing. So we were mostly doing a lot of reading, um, you know, chatting with each other, wandering around. Um, I spent some time because the weather was fairly nice. It was much nicer than we expected for being early May on the Atlantic. It was very calm seas. We only had one day that was a little bit choppy. And even that, you know, once in a while you could feel it on the ship, but for the most part, it was very smooth sailing. And a couple of days were actually pretty warm if you stayed out of the wind. So I tried to spend some time just sitting out in the sun. Um, my husband did a lot of walking on the one deck. You could walk all the way around. Uh, so all of that would have been fantastic for about five days. <laughs> for the other two, we were definitely ready to be doing something else. Um, so that was the transatlantic cruise. This was the first time we have done an ocean cruise, however, since our honeymoon. For our honeymoon, we did um, a three-day cruise, four days in Disney World, and we primarily did the cruise to get to Disney World because it was a package deal. And um, it was nice to do the cruise before Disney because you know how exhausted, if you've ever been married, <laughs> you know how exhausted you are by the end of that wedding. And so we were able to just hang out on the cruise ship and relax and kind of get our breath again and then go to Disney where, you know, you're mostly doing walking. Although, admittedly, in 1987, the Disney world then is not the Disney world that it is today. Um, we It was mostly just Magic Kingdom and Epcot, which is, we love Epcot. That's our famous anyway. In any case, I digress. Um, 
So we had, after that experience, we had pretty much decided we weren't really ocean cruise people. We just didn't enjoy the cruise that much other than the fact that we were able to just kind of catch our breath. Um, For our 25th and 30th anniversaries, we did river cruises on Europe, um, on on Europe, in Europe. Um, Specifically, we did two that were both on the Danube, one going from Budapest up, it ended in Passau, and then we weren't, we went up to Prague, and then the other one started in Amsterdam and went down to Basel, Switzerland. And those were both wonderful. We absolutely love river cruises. I would do another one in a second, but we weren't sure we would ever do an ocean cruise again. Um, but we have become fans of Gary Bembridge of Tips for Travelers on YouTube. And uh, he pretty much got us thinking about cruising differently because we realized there's actually a whole variety of types of cruises besides just ocean and river. There's a lot of different types of ocean cruises. So we're starting to look into them more now. Um, And this was kind of our first one out. It taught us a lot about what we do and don't like. So we may do more cruises in the future probably won't do the transatlantic cruise again maybe when we're significantly older i don't know but anyway um here's a tip i will tell you if any of you are thinking about doing the transatlantic cruise we had heard gary benbridge being one of them but others had said oh you should always do it southampton to new york because it's a longer cruise well when you think about it which you know we did we're like well what it's like a six hour difference because of the time change so being longer it just felt like you get half a day what's the difference that's not a big deal so we were fine doing it the other direction and we had other reasons for doing it the other direction what took us by surprise is that every time we changed time which was pretty much every day the first day you don't because you're going more north than you are going east Um, But every time we went through a time zone, the the clocks changed at noon. So you were just getting ready for lunch, and all of a sudden it's one o'clock. And that caught us both the first two days that we changed time. Both times I had wanted to go to an event that was at like 2 and both times we suddenly weren't eating lunch until 1.15, 1.30 by the time we were able to get into someplace. So I missed both of those days' afternoon events. Um, so that was a little frustrating. I wish I had known that in advance so I could have planned better. We didn't find anything that told us about time changes. So I'm telling you now, if you do <laughs> that transatlantic cruise going from New York to Southampton, the time changes at noon. I thought they would do it overnight, but nope, it's at noon. That being said, it was still very relaxing. Um, Then once we got into Southampton, we were able to make an arrangement with um, Queen Mary. They had shuttle buses going to various other places people were going, one of which was to the St. Pancras International uh, train station. And we were, we had tickets to take the channel Um, which is the tunnel under the English Channel. If you're not familiar with the language, it's called the Channel. Uh, So we took the train, which we both love trains, and it was great riding on the train. It was a very comfortable train. We hated having to lug all of our bags ourselves, because, again, now we've got two big bags, one carry-on. We both have backpacks. And we're going through massive snake lines to get onto the train, to get off of the train and it was just such a pain 
and you've constantly got staff telling you, keep moving, keep moving. They're like trying to rush people through. So as I'm wrestling the stupid baggage around, I've got people coming up my tailpipe. That was really annoying. <laughs> so if we ever do the channel again, we're shipping our bags ahead of us. <laughs> we're just going to go on with a backpack or something. I don't know. That was another thing that we thought, okay, that was kind of fun. We've done it. Don't need to do it again. Um, but then we got to Paris and our second week was a week in Paris and we had a fairly centrally located hotel um, and it was wonderful. Um, the, the weather again was absolutely beautiful. There was a couple of days it was pretty hot when you were out in the sun, but if you could stay in the shade or stay in breezy areas, it wasn't as bad. Um, the first couple days, we just, we took it really casual. The first, we, our first full day on Monday, um, it took us a while to get out of the hotel room in the morning. I just, I was not moving quickly. Um, so my husband had gone, he had taken a walk and he had brought me back some chocolate croissants and coffee. Um, so we didn't really get out until about noon. So we had lunch. Um, we immediately went down to the Place de Concorde and the Jardin de Tuileries. And we hung out just in the gardens, had lunch at one of the cafes there. We basically chilled. It was just wonderful. It was wonderful to see so many people using the gardens. We're always, <laughs> we're always pleased to see green spaces in cities getting well used. Um, and this one was very clean. It was kept very clean. It had a lot of fountains that people were just hanging out by. Um, and we had, you know, the Cafe F, a week of meals on the Queen Mary 2 had made us really just want some very simple food <laughs> by the end of that. So um, I don't remember what my husband had. I just had a slice of quiche and a salad, and it was perfect. Glass of wine. It was, that was just a beautiful day. And we just kind of wandered around a bit. And then Tuesday, we went up to um, Montmartre and the Sacré-Cœur. Uh, cathedral. We wandered to the cathedral and then back down the hill. And again, we just found a nice cafe that was in this sort of five corner square, five different streets coming in all into one central place. Um, but it was all cobblestone, so not a whole lot of traffic, all, mostly pedestrians. And we just had a beer, a couple of beers, actually, and a couple of glasses of wine, I think, because we were there like an hour and a half, two hours, just hanging out, watching the world go by. It was just such a nice day. Those two days were our favorite days of the whole week. And we didn't do much, you know, it was just we were there, we were experiencing, it was fantastic. Um, then we started with the tours. Uh, Wednesday, we had booked uh, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, all three days, I had booked some of these skip the line tours. Two of them were for through a group called, um, or an organization called Viator, or Viator. V-I-A-T-O-R. And the other one was through Babylon Tours. Both of them do tours in a variety of cities. Um, Babylon Tour, our tour guide for that one was absolutely far and away the best. They were all good, but she was fantastic. And she was the one that we did the tour of the Louvre with on Wednesday. We did a small group uh, tour, so there are only eight of us. And she was just so passionate about her subject, and she was funny and she won points with me right off the bat when we walked in. She told us where the least um, busy bathrooms were <laughs> so that we would know where we wouldn't have to stand in line. Um, 
And it was just really great to go on that tour um, because we hit all the highlights of the Louvre, plus some places we might not normally have known to find ourselves. And it was also immediate proof positive that tour money was money well spent because as soon as the tour was over, it was about a two hour long tour, I think, maybe two and a half hours. As soon as it was over, um, we were then free to just wander the Louvre on our own. And we, my husband and I immediately could not for the life of us figure out how to get to from where we were to where we needed to go. I don't know why, you know, the, the, the maps seem clear enough when you're looking at them, but it, it's just such a huge place. And it was so crowded um, that we ended up just kind of, we had lunch in a, a beautiful um, little cafe. And then, oh, I'm sorry. No, that wasn't the day of the cafe. That was a later day. We just um, kind of eventually gave up, you know, after half an hour, another hour or so of wandering around by ourselves. And we went down to, um, there's a mall that's attached to, the Louvre underground. And so we went down there and we ended up having lunch in the food court there. Um, So again, it was nice, but if you are going to the Louvre and you've never been there, get a tour, book the tour. It was so well worth it. Um, We did, by the way, skip the line to see the Mona Lisa. Um, We were quite clearly able to see the Mona Lisa. We were just standing maybe 15 feet off to the side that's all. The only reason to stand in line to the Mona Lisa is if you want to take your a selfie with the Mona Lisa. And that wasn't something that either of us really cared about. We could just, we could see it perfectly fine from where we were. So we, we skipped that, um, but really enjoyed the rest of the tour with that tour guide. Thursday, we did a full day tour with Versailles and Giverny. Um, it was a bus tour. We did Giverny first and then went to this wonderful old water mill that has been um, transformed into, I think there is an inn as part of it. We just went into the, the little restaurant. Um, and again, we were in a smallish group that time. We are in about 15, I think. And Giverny, uh, which is where Monet lived, the artist Monet, with all of his gardens and where he painted his famous water lilies and all of that. I really enjoyed it. Everything was in full bloom. It was gorgeous, except, of course, it was packed. It was so crowded. Um, But it was still nice. I I love Monet, so it was nice to be able to go see all these uh, images, essentially. You know, you see the bridge that he painted. You see where the water lilies were, although they weren't in bloom when we were there. You see one of his studios um, and pictures of him standing in the studio, you know, so you know it actually does look like what it was when he was there. So that was kind of cool. Um, lunch was beautiful because we were sitting outside on this patio with this running river behind us and, you know, this old watermill. And we ended up sitting across from a very nice couple from Texas and just had a great conversation with them. And then we got to Versailles. Um I have to say Versailles did really nothing much at all for me. Um, my husband and I kept joking that we're just too American for it. I <laughs> just, you know, that I couldn't even look at it and say it was pretty. It was just so over the top. And uh, I, I don't know, like I said, it was, you know, my husband was joking with one of the other guys on the tour saying, well, you can kind of understand why the peasants revolted. <laughs> you know, it was just, uh, it was not, I don't know. 
I'm glad I went. The only reason I did go was primarily I wanted to go to Giverny and it didn't seem to make sense to do one and not the other. And it felt like everybody would say when I got back, oh, did you see Versailles? You should go see it. It's beautiful. And so I thought, well, I, I should really go see it. Well, I've seen it. Um, you know, if you love opulence, <laughs> then then go for it. It did not do a whole lot for me. Um, it was the I did learn some stuff, obviously. There was a whole lot of inner politicking I didn't know, and certainly even down to why Versailles was built the way it was and why certain rooms were arranged in certain ways. That was interesting, um, but I could have watched an hour-long documentary and learned all of that, too. So, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. If you loved Versailles, uh, I'm not, no judging here. It just was not my thing. Um, so... Then Friday, our last day there, we, we booked at the very last minute, we got ourselves a tour of the Musée d'Orsay, which um, is a museum right down in the center of Paris. Again, it was not that far from our hotel. And that's where all the Impressionist, or a lot of the Impressionist art is. And again, that's my jam. Um, and so we did that. <laughs> we ended up paying the big bucks for a private tour, because no, by the time we finally decided to go ahead and book, all of the tours I had originally been looking at were all sold out. So the only tour we could get was a private tour. And frankly, at that point, I was so tired, I wasn't even thinking. I just said, okay, bam, and so we got a private tour. Um, and our tour guide was good. She wasn't quite as personable as the one we had had with the Louvre, but very informational and learned a lot, one about the how the museum itself is organized and then just how the she helped us see various influences on Impressionist art as um, through the years as times went on and what was going on politically and how that influenced the art. So all of that was really good. Um, so we did enjoy it. Uh, but at that point, we were also pretty much vacationed out and, and really ready to come home. <laughs> so that was the only thing we did that day. We uh, hopped a subway up, up to see the Arc de Triomphe because that was the only thing I hadn't seen yet, um, up close anyway. <laughs> so we got up to the, when you get out of the subway stop, you're actually across. It's in the middle of a big traffic circle with like four lanes of traffic and everything. So to actually get to it takes some work. And so we got up looked at it. My husband said, so do you want to try to go across? And I'm just like, no, I've seen it. <laughs> we turned around and went back. I was so tired. And my knee, I'm still struggling with my knee after my knee surgery. And although it had done pretty well all week by then, it was, you know, it was done. Um, so we had a really, really nice time. We went out for one very nice dinner of the week at a place called, uh, I believe it was La Serre. Um, which was just beautiful. We got there um, pretty much during the early bird special. We got there at six and nobody else was there much until 7, 38 o'clock. So we got all sorts of personalized attention from the serving staff. Um, but in any case, that was our one nice dinner. Everything else, we were just eating at cafes and everything and we really enjoyed it. So that was great. So then I got home on that Saturday and Monday morning, I got back on a plane again for a week of meetings in Wisconsin with the leadership council of our denomination, includes everybody at my level, as well as other branches of the denominational family, national staff and such. 
Um, this is the first time we've been able to have this meeting in person since 2019, so it was absolutely fantastic to see everybody again, um, to welcome some new folks who have joined various positions during the pandemic, and we've only met on Zoom. Um, so that was all great. I was originally supposed to room with a good friend of mine. We've known each other probably 30 years at this point. We kept ending up at all the same events. And we've struck up a friendship over the years. Um, and she and I are now both, you know, we're colleagues. We have the same position in different areas of the country. So we were going to room together. But the very first morning, so we both get in Monday night. Tuesday morning, we're sitting at breakfast. I get a text from my husband that he just tested COVID positive. So I jumped up from the table, <laughs> threw my mask back on because we had had it off while we were eating, threw it back on, ran back to the room, um, well, walked back to my room and immediately isolated. And um, they had some tests there. And so they brought me a test. Meanwhile, they made arrangements for my roommate, kicked her out. She got her own room. So we both got our own rooms, <laughs> which, you know, way to get a room to myself. That's one I guess, way to do it. Um, and so I, I tested twice that day, tested twice on Tuesday. And then I tested again every day after that. We, my friend took me out to get more tests um, at a local Walgreens. And I'm still not positive. Um, I've been testing pretty much every day since. I'm still not positive. So I have no idea how he got it. And I didn't. We're both the same vaccines, same vaccination schedule, pretty much almost to the day. Um, and obviously we were all together through all of that. So somehow he had less immunity than I did, I guess. Uh, so while I was there, you know, like I said, I was testing every day, but when I came home, I decided I can't go home, home because there's no beds free in our house anymore. Both kids living at home. Um, there's no other bedrooms, no empty bedrooms, and we don't even have a comfortable couch. The one couch we have in the house is really hard as a rock. It's just, we're gonna replace it this summer. So it's just not one we can sleep on. Um, so I'd, I got myself a hotel reservation thinking it would just be, well, at least Friday and Saturday night. You know, I'll, I'll do that. Um, my husband, or my son was gonna pick me up from the airport, take me to my hotel, but guess what? I get a text from him on Friday as I'm flying home. He's now COVID positive. <laughs> so I just grabbed a lift to the hotel. Um, my daughter, who has had COVID fairly recently, so even though she's still at home, she's fine, and we don't think she has tested, but we don't think she's going to get it. Um, she came to get me Saturday afternoon because in the midst of all this, I had taken my car into the shop before I went on vacation to get some repairs done, so I had no car either. So she finally took me Saturday to, to get my car back. Um, Meanwhile, my husband tested and he's still positive and he still has some symptoms. So for now, I'm staying in this hotel from whence I am doing this podcast until Wednesday morning. At that point, he will have been, um, it should be past him being contagious, we think. That's what the plan is anyway. <laughs> um, I went over this afternoon to do some cleaning and such. Tomorrow, I might go pick up my Augie and bring him into my office with me so that he has some company, the poor dogs, they're pretty much isolated with the family. So anyway, I'm home, but I'm not home. So that's my saga of, of the last few weeks, um, explaining to you why you haven't been hearing from me. And sorry that none of that was quilty related. Um, 
So let me go back to, and I can do this fairly quickly, um, why I wasn't getting any sewing done in April. Like I said, I am still folding fabric. If you remember back when I podcasted last, um, my decluttering challenge that I did ended up making me want to totally reorganize all my fabric and going through comic book boards. I've got probably... I'm not sure I even want to quite say half done yet, but I'm probably pushing getting half done. Um, I will say it's much easier to look for fabric when it's um, in comic book boards, you know, sitting up on a shelf looking like bolts of fabric than it was when it was in stacks because I would have to kind of paw through the stacks and sometimes stuff gets kind of shoved back. So it's much easier to see what I've got, which I really like. Um, I did have to totally rework my shelves. I think I mentioned that that was a possibility. So I had to put down some vinyl shelf covering. I bought some shelf brackets so that I could um, stack the comic book boards on the shelves I had been using. Um, and that all took a little figuring out. It's still not ideal, but it's better than having to rework the shelves altogether. Um, I do still have some thoughts about, I have pull-out drawers on the same shelving unit that fit right, you know, they're done on shelf brackets, that I keep my jelly rolls and my, um, oh, what else is jelly? Oh, fat quarters. Fat quarters is in the top one and jelly roll strips is in the bottom one. And I'm thinking I might move those so that I can get some more shelf space. There's a way I can kind of rework those so that the drawers are actually under the shelves rather than taking up shelf space. So that... That might come down the, the pike. I don't know. Um, one thing I did do, the way that the comic book board stand means I can't use my top shelf for fabric at all because I have a sloping ceiling. So it's just not tall enough for the comic book boards. So I've put a couple of bins up there and I've put some, like if, my, um, if I have four yards that I'm intending for a backing, that I'm not bothering to put on a comic book board. I've just got that folded and it's up on that top shelf. So I've got two or three backing fabrics of significant yardage up there. And then I took all of my jelly rolls that are still in packages, the brand new ones. I took them out of the drawer and actually lined them up on that top shelf. And it just looks so nice. It looks like a quilt shop. And it, it just, every time I walk by them, I'm seeing them and I'm thinking about what I'm going to do with them. So Rather than being out of sight, out of mind, they are right in front of me. And it, it has made me stop um, a couple times that I've thought about buying a really cute um, jelly roll. I look up and I see all of the ones I have sitting there on my shelf. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, so anyway, to the fabric boards, I have to say that just the very act of resorting your fabric does make you look at it all again. I find the same thing when I am sorting clothes out of my um, closet and putting it in my Stylebook app, which is the one where I take pictures of each article of clothes so that I can put them into my app, make outfits out of them, and use them as a packing list. That's a whole other podcast episode. Um, but if I pick up an, a piece of clothing and I just groan at the thought of trying to take a picture of it, that says to me I don't actually like that piece of clothing enough to want to keep it. So that's one of my main ways to declutter my closet. I was finding myself doing the same thing with the fabric. 80 to 90% of the fabric that I'm doing 
as I pull it out, I'm loving it and I'm petting it and I'm saying, oh, I remember this. This was really gorgeous and I really want to use this for. And so I'm starting to come up with new ideas as I'm folding it. It's like, this is an act of love. Dear fabric, I love you so much. I'm putting you on this board. Look at me taking care of you. You know, so that's a wonderful thing. But then <laughs> I occasionally pull out a piece and I'm like, ugh. And at first I was like, yeah, I really have to find something to use this in because it's been on my shelf forever and I can't stand it and I just have to get rid of it. And I actually found on the salvage one of the, <laughs> one piece of my fabric that I found myself still doing that for. And actually it's a neutral. So that's why it keeps staying back in my thing because I keep saying, oh, this is a neutral. I should be able to use it. It's actually dated 1992 on the salvage, which means... My mom had it first, because I was not quilting in 1992. She didn't use it until she passed away in 2009. And then I inherited it from her, and it's now been sitting on my shelf since 2009. <laughs> and I'm thinking, if I haven't used it yet, I am probably never going to use it. And I don't know what it is about this particular fabric. That's, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not stained. It's not ugly. It's a neutral. It's kind of a tone-on-tone. -tone. It's just, every time I look at it, it just, it feels old to me um, and not in a good way. And I think it's simply been because it's been on my shelf too long. So it's, you know, it's one of these where I, I have, I have some issues with Marie Kondo's you know, joy of decluttering stuff that she does. Not all of it, I've taken some. But this is what I kept finding myself thinking, but does this fabric bring me joy? You know, is it on my shelf because I want to use it? Or is it on my shelf because I feel guilty about the fact that I haven't used it yet? Um, it's, uh, I always joke that when I eat a healthy meal, my husband, you know, will ask, so how did it go? You know, like if we're out at a restaurant or whatever, and I'll order something more because it's healthy than because I really want it. My code word is, well, I feel virtuous. That means I'm, you know, I ate my healthy meal, didn't like it at all. So <laughs> some of this fabric, I'm like, if I ever used it, I would feel virtuous about using it, but I wouldn't have particularly enjoyed using it. Um, and you know what? Quilting life is too short. There is too much fabric out there. Frankly, I have too much other fabric on my shelves. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that would probably look at this fabric and be so excited about welcoming it into their stash that I am going to just gift it to them. So I have now got this big old pile of fabric that I am going to now donate. I um, haven't decided exactly where I'm going to donate it yet. I did... Um, I thought I might take it to my guild, but frankly, I really want to take it to um, a charity craft shop. You know, the, the places where they'll sell it and then the money goes towards charity. I think that's what I'm going to end up doing with it because they're most of them are full yardage, half yards. A lot of it is brand new fabric. It's good stuff and they could get some decent money for it. Um, some of it before I donate it, I'm going to go back through. There might be some that I'll just take a strip off. Um, for my stash or whatever. On the other hand, I may just take it all out. I don't know. Um, but I would say I probably have... I was just trying to calculate in my head based on the size of the pile, which I'm not looking at right now because I'm in my hotel. I probably have a good 25, 30 yards worth of fabric I'm donating. Maybe. I'd have to add it up. 
However, as the stuff is now going onto my shelves, I'm, I'm trying to rethink how I organize my fabric. I've always just done it by color, but now I'm kind of thinking maybe I want to separate all the batiks and have them in one place, separate all the novelties, have the holiday, have the baby prints all in one place. I don't have a ton of any of the, well, batiks I probably have more of, but like novelties, I've got a handful and I tend to get rid of those because I'm not a huge fan of novelty fabrics. Um, holiday, I have very little of. Baby prints, I've got a little bit more of now that we've got a next generation of babies happening, but I still don't have a ton. So it's not like any of that would take up a lot of time. But for the moment, I'm still just wrapping fabric. <laughs> and then once I see how much I've got left, then I'll have a better sense of how I'm going to organize it. Um, I would be curious to know your organizational systems. What have you found helpful in um, organizing your fabrics? Do you to do it only by color or do you have other types of categories that you use? I'm just curious. All right, so I've got some comments, and I think all of these are new since the last time I recorded an episode. Um, I apologize if I'm repeating one from before, but I don't think I am. Um, because it's been so long since I last podcasted, um, it's not that I have a ton of comments, but it was hard for me to remember <laughs> which ones I had already responded to. Um, and these are in no particular order, chronologically speaking or otherwise. I just was kind of taking them and throwing them into my notes. So the first one, I think this is actually the most recent, is from Paula, commented on, um, uh, looks like, oh, I guess I post, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me try to get my thoughts back together in my head again. Uh, she commented um on something, but she was referring to the podcast, uh, my last podcast, episode 213, in which clips are the wrong choice. She says, I loved it at several points. I positively burned out guffawing. Um, she said, boy, I can relate. There are several other points. I got a good chuckle and many good ideas. Uh, she loved the idea of finishing the front of the binding with a decorative stitch. Um, she says, if my other podcasts are like this, I think I'll laugh a lot and learn a lot. Um, Paula, go back in time. <laughs> Some of those are much better than, than this. Um, I had things a little bit more together in the past than I do in the future. Er, <laughs> okay, than I do now. Who knows what I'm going to be like in the future? Um, Paula also is an AccuQuilt user and has been considering getting the GoMe's as well so she can keep up processing scraps. Um, Paula, my jury is still out on that GoMe. Uh, I've tried to use it a couple of times. I'm not positive I'm loving it, but I have not been able to give it a lot of use yet, so my, my personal jury is still out on that. Um, Mary commented a month ago on episode 210 in which I'm done something. Episode 210. Oh, uh, uh, the long arming, I think it was. Um, she says, I was so fortunate to have a great long arm teacher when I was learning to use the long arm. Sorry, I just accidentally scrolled myself here. Let me get back to where I was. Uh, she was fortunate to have a great long arm teacher when she was using, learning to use the long arm both for free motion and pantographs. 
Before I ever started stitching the pantograph, she had me keep that laser light on the line several times running through it, and then when I was comfortable with it, I started stitching. Hope you can try it again sometime, or maybe it's not just for you. Um, from Marion, New Mexico. So thank you, Mary. I certainly might try it again. I'm not ever ruling it out. I try to never say never, because whenever I do that, I immediately do whatever I just said I was never going to do again. Uh, so I can see where doing the laser light on the line would help you get a better feel for that distance. Um, yeah, I was just uncomfortable with it, and practice is what makes you more comfortable. So I could see doing that. Um, I do still just love free motion. I just love being free. I'm free. I love being free. Um, so Anne asked a question um, again on episode 213. And she was asking, is there something special about this tool that looks like a ruler? She's referring to the binding tool, the Fonz and Porter binding tool that I was referencing. And by the way, let me... Um, Jump ahead, Lori T. also commented on the same one that she says she has the Fonz and Porter binding tool too. It's been my go-to ever since you first mentioned it years ago. So yes, fair warning, I do make people buy things. Um, so Anne, back to you. It is kind of a ruler, but it's a specialty ruler, um, like most are. The lines are geared to make it really easy for you to know exactly where to trim the binding strips so that they will meet well, meet evenly, and then where to fold things and where to stitch them so that everything comes together without either um, cutting yourself too short and having the binding too tight or having a, too much in the middle. Um, back before I had the binding ruler, and I've had it for, holy Moses, a whole lot of years now. Um, but back before, I used to periodically end up with kind of a, a pucker in my binding because it would just be a little bit too much and because I tend to be a bit of a half, um, you know what the end of that word is, <laughs> slower at times, especially when I get that close to finishing. I wouldn't want to cut it and try to re-sew it and everything. Some, I mean, if it was really bad, I would do that. But if it was just a little bit, I would just sew a wrinkle right into the darn thing and do the binding. Um, remember my prologue in which I say I've never had anything in a show. Um, <laughs> I just, oh, I guess I have now. I think I had to take that out because I did put something in a show once. That's about the only time that'll ever happen. Um, but in any case, with this binding tool, I've never had a problem again. They come out dead on perfect every single time. Um, so I just absolutely love this ruler. There are other binding rulers out there. I cannot speak with any authority about which one is better than the other because the Fonz and Porter is the only one I've ever owned. And I love it. So if anybody has other binding tools, binding rulers, um, uh, you know, anything like that that they would also like to recommend, please feel free. That's the only one I know about, and I love it. Uh, Jennifer in Indy said, oh, this was on my um, post about the Cotton Cuts delivery, uh, because I have once again unsubscribed to Cotton Cuts because I wasn't in love with the fabrics I was getting. Um, and she says, interesting grouping. I like a couple of them and agree with you on the others. Just need to cut them up a little, which is true. There's no such thing as an ugly fabric, you just haven't cut it small enough. 
Colleen commented after, I'm trying to figure out the timing based on when she says this. It must have been that same episode 213. Um, she said, I didn't comment after the last episode as I got behind and listened to it and this one back to back. Now I forgot what I was going to comment on that one. So I'd better get my comment on this one before I forget that's two. Um, as Francis of Off Kilter Quilt says, I can hear your comments in your head. But I love to see them in writing too. Um, Colleen says, I've got the Fonz and Porter tool too. Probably like Lori, I bought it on your recommendation. You can be very persuasive. She says, I do have trouble with it though. I can never remember how to twist the binding before joining it. So it turns out untwisted when I'm done. I've watched the tutorials before. I will watch the one above and see if I can figure it out. I do agree that once I actually do do it right, it really turns out nice. Usually though, I do the lazy man's method and just fold the top piece of binding under a quarter inch and at a 45 degree angle and lay it on the bottom piece, if that makes any sense at all. I think if I'm picturing what you're talking about, Colleen, oh, by the way, she then goes on to say, I just watched the video. She does give a good hint about twisting the binding. I think that will help. Um, first of all, about twisting the binding, Colleen, I, I have those directions in front of me every time <laughs> and I just read them every single time to make sure I've got everything twisted right, you know, and I've been using that tool for, like I said, probably 20 years at this point, and I still read the directions every time because my brain will not flip those things around right unless I'm looking at the directions and double-checking what I'm doing. Um, but I think what you might be saying, this is another way to do um, bindings, which I have done a couple of times. The only difference is it does end up with a little bit of bulk in there. When you have your right side and your left side of your two binding pieces coming together, um, you cut the lengths so that the left side can slide into the fold of the right side. So the right side is essentially kind of folding over the top of it. Um, meanwhile, you cut before you slide it in, of course, when they're still separate, you cut the um, right side, the one that you're going to fold the other one into, you cut it at a 45 degree angle. And then you fold under the raw edge about a quarter inch. So it's got a nice, neat edge to it. And then you fold the left into that right diagonal piece, lay it down nicely, and then sew it down. Okay. I don't know if any of that made sense. I tried to describe it as best I could. No, I'm not going to make a video of it. <laughs> There's probably videos of it. On the internet. I did bindings like that for a very long time before I learned how to do them the other way. Um, again, it works fine. It's just it can be a little bit bulky and you have to do a little bit of wiggling around to get those two pieces to really lay nicely and to look like you have actually mitered the two together. Um, Colleen, if that's not what you were talking about, <laughs> let me know and maybe send a picture of what you were talking about. So, okay. Um, oh, and Anne asked on Facebook, what is EPP? Because I keep using that um, abbreviation EPP. I did answer her on Facebook, but just in case any of the rest of you are still wondering, EPP stands for English Paper Piecing. It is different from foundation piecing. Um, 
I'm not going to take a lot of time to describe it. The differences right now, uh, you can go online and Google difference between EPP and foundation and you'll find all sorts of things. Um, I, I won't even say they're similar, but different. Foundation piecing can be done by hand. Certainly it's usually done by a machine. Um, English paper piecing is almost always done by hand. There are people that do it by machine, but frankly, I don't know why you would. <laughs> I think it would be harder to do by machine. Um, but anyway, the whole point of EPP is doing it by hand, in my opinion. So that's it for this episode. In terms of goals for the week, my goal for this week is basically to get home. <laughs> I just, just want to go home. Um, and my second goal, I guess, would be to get my sewing room reorganized, my cutting table cleaned back off again because everything, my son was working in my office for a little while until he tested positive, at which point he kicked himself out and is airing everything out. So there's no germs in there for me when I get back. Um, anyway, basically, I just need to get my head back together and figure out where I'm going next. I do know, yes, indeed, that Storm at Sea quilt still needs some sewing. And I'm still working on my EPP Dilly Flowers. But right now, I'm staying focused on the main thing, which is just getting home. So that's it for this episode. Um, if you want to be in touch with me, and I do hope you will be, you can leave a comment on this episode at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com or you can leave a comment on our Facebook page. We're quiltingfortherestofus.com over there as well. Or you can email me at sandyquilts at... S <laughs> I've forgotten my email address. Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z at gmail.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I used to be on Twitter, not so much anymore, may never be again um, with recent changes over there. That's a whole other podcast as well, which I will never record. Um, that's, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just really need to go home because I cannot pull my head together until I am. Um, hope y'all are doing well. Until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 